Well, I'll just keep it super, super simple and I'll say, Chupai beteko animo deri kushichu. Three, two, one. Welcome to Sydney Reflex, Stephanie. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure for us to have you. Thank you very much for accepting our invitation at first. I was just reading through your book, actually. It took me like three days to read this. So we're here to talk about this, you know, seven women, because I am from Nepal myself. So looking at this story, knowing this story has inspired me in a lot of ways. And I think sharing this in our podcast would help inspire the Nepalese youth out here and back in Nepal too. So tell us a little bit about what is seven women? How did it form? And why did you choose to do this? Sure. Uh, so first of all, thank you. And I love Nepal. I love Nepalese people. And I've been to Nepal over 35 times now. I think it's about 36 times. So that's a lot. Right. And I went there first when I was 19, just mm-hmm. out of high school. And I went there really wanting to learn about the world. I wanted to make a difference and I wanted to travel overseas to a country where I could, you know, do one of those volunteering trips, but I didn't Mm. really know what they were. Mm. So anyway, I signed up to this trip through an organisation called the Duke of Edinburgh and I went over to Nepal as a volunteer and there Mm. were a few different projects in the villages and we stayed in two villages. Um, One was near Pokhara called Sarum and the Mm -hmm. other one was Nagakot called Sudal. And it was so inspiring for me and it was so incredible to see the way Nepalese live in the villages. It mm-hmm. was just like another planet, another world. It is, right? And it is. And it was amazing, like an amazing opportunity and life experience. And I remember we were kind of camping in these tents on mm-hmm. the on the, the field in the village. And mm-hmm. I remember saying to our group leader, can we do, like, is it possible to do a homestay if it's possible? If not, mm-hmm. like, you know, and and then uh, some of the families in the village really wanted to do that. So mm-hmm. I remember staying with this family in the village in Nagakot in Sudal village and it was just like the, the, the generosity, you know, the hospitality mm-hmm. that they had in these places mm. was just incredible and coming from a place like Australia obviously you know some of the people in the villages have a lot less than we do here mm. but they were so generous and so willing to give us you know everything that they had and be hospitable so that really transformed me and impacted me and mm-hmm. I just remember um, leaving the airport at the end of the trip uh, you know I think a lot of people cry when they leave Nepal because they've had such an amazing experience like they love it so much and it's quite like you know it's quite a random country and a lot of funny mm. things happen and you meet a lot of great so anyway that is um I'll kind of shorten my story a little bit because it can be mm-hmm. very long because I love Nepal I can talk about it for a very long time yeah. but I left Nepal on that trip and I, got, I was asked back to co-lead a tour on the next mm. trip when I was 22 so on, in that role, I was co-leading a group of architects that had designed mm-hmm. uh, schools for villagers. And when we were in the village called Sarung, it was, it really sparked my curiosity, like how do people that are not mm-hmm. from Nepal um, empower the locals to make a difference and work in a way that 
you know, is sustainable and empowering rather than come in and build and mm -hmm. then leave. Like that really makes sense to me. And in that leadership role, I didn't have any it, like translators or interpreters mm -hmm. and I didn't know much Nepalese at the time. Mm -hmm. So it was um, challenging. So then, then I became really curious about how do, you know, foreigners mm -hmm. uh, work with the people in effective ways to create change you know and really support empowerment mm -hmm. so anyway how seven women began was one of the last days on that trip i was walking down you know one of the back streets of Kathmandu, and mm -hmm. i saw a woman who was very uh physically disabled and she turned into a tiny little you know tin shed gate mm -hmm. and in that tin shed were I, I poked my head around and had a look to see what she was, you know, where she went. There were six other women with physical disabilities who mm. were operating out of that tin shed. And one of them, Sangeeta, spoke broken English. And she told me that these women had come from different remote village areas and that because of their physical disabilities, they found it really hard to sell the products that they were making and find someone who would have them in their building a landlord mm. where they could rent because the, they they thought that they would bring bad luck mm -hmm. if they were in that building. so coming from a place like australia that was really confusing for me i thought oh that that's horrible you know that these women would have to face that so that's how seven women began i had 200 dollars mm -hmm. and i was about to leave nepal and i thought how can i help with this tiny bit of money you know, before mm. I leave Nepal and help these women just basically get their basic needs, like a mm. basic place to sleep and that sort of thing. That's how it started. And what was the journey like? Like what were some of the difficulties that you faced through during this time when you were trying to form the seven women? Let's say for the first like four, three, four years of time, because Nepal is a place where it's too much political it's hard to make people understand when you're doing something different, if you're trying to change something. So what was your journey like trying to form seven women there? Mm, that's so true that, you know, it's, I think the less you can get into that sort of stuff, the better. Mm. I think I'm, I'm a very big advocate for if you have an idea that comes to you and it gives you that energy, you know, mm. that excited energy, like oh, I could do this then just take the first step, just take the first tiny step. Don't make it into a really big, you know, vision that seems overwhelming and start thinking about the politics and hurt, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Just do the first action step. And that's what we did with seven women with the $200. Mm -hmm. Me and thought, wow, we can pay two trainers to come and train the women in skills and they can mm -hmm. make some, you know, their, their knitted products and that. And I could bring them back to Australia and sell the you know few items mm. that I had and raise money to send back to them to just buy proper bedding and stuff like that. So uh, there were so many challenges in the beginning, you know, mm. both because it was in Nepal and I was Australian and I was, you know, didn't know the language, I was mm -hmm. learning the language, but it, it was um, so many different challenges to but, but also I just thought that in the beginning the plan was to help these seven women that I'd mm. met. I didn't have any big plans beyond that. Mm. But what happened was when we started working with the women and they started making the products and I started selling them, 
then more and more women started to come to that tiny tin shed and that they heard about what was happening, mm. asking for jobs. And then I realised, oh, my God, there, there are actually so many women that are in these situations in Nepal that are really wanting to, um, you know, be financially independent mm. and lots of very, you know, sad stories of struggle and that sort of thing. Mm. So that that's when I thought, wow, well, maybe if I sell more and more products in Australia, mm. maybe we can raise enough money to pay more women, you know, and provide more jobs for, for mm. more people. So it was very kind of step-by-step step gradual that, that it evolved. Mm-hmm. All right. That's nice to know. And what was it like, you know, like cultural differences that you had or that you might have faced? Do you have an incident like that in mind? Yes, yes, there are a lot actually. Um, and yeah, a lot of um, funny, not funny at the time, but they're mm-hmm. funny now, challenging yeah. the products because um, we made these felt, we started doing felt products and we made these hand puppets mm-hmm. and um, we did Australian birds and one of them was a cockatoo. Mm-hmm. You know what a cockatoo looks like? Yep. Now I know. Um Yeah, now you know. So the women didn't know what a cockatoo was. And mm-hmm. so I made this set of birds with the women in Nepal and we put them together, you know, uh, to, when we were together. Mm-hmm. And we had the different shapes of felt, the different colours and everything. And we ran out of time to do the cockatoo. So I thought mm-hmm. I'll send a photo of the cockatoo when I get back to Australia over to the women and they can make it, you know, themselves. Mm-hmm. So I sent the photo um And then a few months later, they, they arrived in the cargo, all of the products, and mm. I opened the box, you know, after I got it from the airport. And I had no idea what I was doing, you know, importing products. I'd never done it before. Mm. I went to the airport, I opened the box, and I got home, and I was like, oh, my God, like everything was new to me. And mm. I opened the box. There were um, about 100 cockatoo hand puppets with the mm. other hand puppets. Perfect. But the cockatoos were all missing their beaks. Mm-hmm. They didn't have their beaks so they were I was like looking at them going oh my god what the hell how am I going to how did they forget their beaks but then I looked at my I looked at the photo that I'd sent to the women Mm. and the I'd taken the photo of the hand puppet against a black tablecloth background Mm -hmm. so the beaks Mm -hmm. were flashed you know Mm -hmm. against the background so because the women didn't know that they were birds Mm -hmm. and they'd never seen a all you know they didn't see the black beak because it was against the black background so lots of you know funny little challenges that happened uh and also you know very different ways of doing things Mm -hmm. um in nepal on certain topics so i think it was just very important for me to understand and ask Mm -hmm. what the women were thinking and just communication was very important early on all right And with what you have done, what I see out there is what we studied back in our social innovation courses to human-centered design. So instead of, I read your book and in most of the times you have also talked about things like how you should actually go out there and ask women what do they actually need instead of thinking that I should have done this or this should be done. What's your thoughts around mm-hmm. that, you know, like human-centered design? Why should we actually go in and talk to the people and know exactly what they need instead of thinking? Because mostly we, 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 do, we are very grateful and we do things out of generosity. We like to give people, we like to give aids. But we can also talk about it later, how like poverty and all those issues, how complicated are they? And it's not as simple as giving money out there, right? 
but mm. what's your take on that you know like you should be going in and talking to actual people before coming up with ideas to help them mm. well i think um I'll, i'll kind of answer that with an example and i mm-hmm. love the fact that you've read my book how did you get my book in the first place again it's it, i think it's from university itself i got this like 3 years ago but i just finished like today <laughs> because i i'm very bad at reading i had your book i started never finished it but finally i did it today <laughs> is that that's awesome well done good timing just at the last second yeah. well done <laughs> um so yeah one example and it's a very interesting question mm-hmm. is you know what, what the importance of actually listening to the people that you're working with and hoping to help support outcomes for is mm-hmm. I I remember the first time when I took the products back to Australia and sold them and raised um a bit of money I think it was around $500 or something and mm-hmm. I went back to Paul and like my view of what we should have done with that money would have mm-hmm. been to buy proper beds and blankets and make their living space in this tin shed uh more comfortable mm-hmm. so if I hadn't have asked the women and if I had have just made that decision and and bought that that would have been good for them but actually when i asked them what they wanted to do with that money they said that they wanted to build a higher fence and a more secure fence around mm-hmm. the premises because across the road was an alcohol shop and they felt unsafe every night when they went mm-hmm. to sleep um because of um you know people that used to hang around the alcohol shop and that sort of thing so i would have never known that if i didn't ask them so i just think you know it is very mm-hmm. important and also being from a different culture the cultures are very different in some respects so mm-hmm. you know, i would not even think in my brain some of the things that would be yeah. relevant unless i asked and i was very like because i'm very curious naturally i was very hungry mm-hmm. to learn the culture and the language because i think you can learn a lot through the language about you know society mm-hmm. and the mentality of people as well so how much of nepali do you know right now Well, when I was going there regularly, I was picking uh-huh. a lot up and I felt, I felt good. I felt like I could understand, you know, most mm-hmm. things in case but, um and I could speak even though, you know, I'm not sure how I sounded, but people seemed to understand me. So mm-hmm. um so yeah, I can I I can I'm not sure how good I would be now cuz I haven't been there for about 2 years. If you have to give any message to someone who's watching this, who's from Nepal, right? Can you like give a message in Nepali right now? <laughs> oh my god. Oh my. Um well, I'll just keep it super super simple and I'll say okay. um Chapai bete ko ani modere kushichu. Yes, that's right. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> that would be my no. first video. That would be my highlight for this video. <laughs> 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 yeah. So it mm-hmm. does I mean I haven't spoken that for, for a very, very long time. So um mm-hmm. but I but you can I understand love... Nepali pretty well like whenever someone is speaking Nepali you can at least understand even if you can't reply back. Yes. And I like I um I loved speaking it in the villages and I think mm-hmm. you know I think people understood what I was saying but maybe it was a bit deranged at times mm-hmm. you know what I was that they could catch what you I was catch saying. It, yeah. It's always yeah. fun being in those villages you know because true Nepal you, in order to see true Nepal I think you need to go out of Kathmandu. Kathmandu mm. Kathmandu is just too overpopulated and it just contains like major heritage site 
but if you want to meet like true people true culture you know it's it's going out there in those villages and seeing the because the lifestyle there is completely different like for someone who's living here in australia they can't even imagine like the way their life runs what their priorities are you know so it's completely different mm-hmm. out there and it's always good to go to those villages and be in nature and enjoy that mm, it is yeah and i think uh, i think also there's a very uh beautiful i mean i know there's different society constructs of mm-hmm. cultures that are passed down and some of them are amazing and some of them you know you know kind of limit people's potential and mm-hmm. are a bit you know discriminatory in in every culture i think we have those things um but i think there's an amazing kind of innocence and naivety mm-hmm. and incredible human spirit that you can see mm-hmm. in the village that is very alive you know it hasn't been hijacked or damaged by the western influence yeah. too much the you know the tv and the exactly. so it's um it's very refreshing to be able to go and to see that uh incredible spirit in the people absolutely people out there are so much joyful and so much happy even they don't have a lot of things you know they're happy with their life and it's just so joyful and refreshing to be there and meet those kind of people out there but one of the and things just, uh-huh. no i was just going to say i mean i think that's a very important message in itself because mm-hmm. like look at our lives here with all the marketing through the tv and you know this that and the other and you need this to be happy and you need that to be happy it's like mm. it's like kind of corrupts us in a little in a, in a way like if the people in the village are very present you know they're yeah. living in the moment and they're not even aware that they that there's all this stuff but they don't really need it anyway because mm. i mean the main purpose of living is to be happy and to live you know to live happily yeah true and since we're looking to dak three more villages there's a lot of poverty that could be seen seen in undeveloping country like nepal you know and poverty as we say as we have talked before it's not as easy as it seems you might feel like you are helping that person for a day but in another sense as habit in your book too it somehow develops that mentality for them to be you know like dependent upon someone else instead of trying to do something yourselves you know and also with the poverty situation we try to give aids and funds a lot of time i have also watched this in the movie called poverty inc have you watched that no Literally, that sounds yeah. very you should watch that if you want to understand like poverty and how the system around the whole world works which is very much not good in a sense you know like it's the amount that the actual people who are in need get is about 2 to 3% of whatever is given in aids to the different organizations and how it runs is that it's basically they are trying to help others but in other sense they are just trying to earn money for themselves so there is all this case that like to and poverty is so much complicated and you have talked about this in your book to like how it's not about just helping them for a day or giving money you know it's more about like realizing how you can empower them what you take on that and how you think about those kind of things Yeah, that's a well I can tell by the way that you're talking about it that you yourself have a really good understanding of you know the community and how to create change because it's not straightforward like mm-hmm. it's not it's not even you know even when you're empowering people and building skills and capacity it's still and 
you know, I don't want people to take this the wrong way, but mm -hmm. someone's life can transform from, not, you know, from very little struggle to um, them being earning money and having incredible opportunity. And it's, you know, it changes between person to person. Some people mm -hmm. kind of don't appreciate that or they forget where they came from and mm -hmm. others will be so grateful, you know, and they'll, they'll really appreciate it and they'll just want to share it with other people in their villages and in their communities. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, I think also if you look at the history of aid in Nepal, the develop, community development model for a long time was giving stuff for free. Mm -hmm. So that, that creates that human condition of um, expecting to be given stuff mm -hmm. or entitlement, you know, which I think is a big thing in Nepal. And I, I don't think that's, I think that's very damaging, you know, mm -hmm. to be people so much stuff for free and not requiring them to do any work because not only is it unfair because someone's giving a lot of energy and time and, mm -hmm. and they're just kind of receiving, but also it doesn't honour the ability that, that human has, you mm -hmm. know, the ability we all have to actually contribute and it's not empowering because at the end of the day that creates dependency on the person that's giving them things so mm -hmm. when when you're talking about um you know empowerment it's really building up the capacity in that person that they are free and that they feel capable on their own to you know to do things and mm -hmm. to create the life they want uh, and on a macro scale, which is what you've just touched on, mm -hmm. yes, when I studied, you know, international development at university, I was kind of horrified and very shocked at how the global institutions like the International Monetary Fund and, you know, the World Bank and how they actually operate because mm -hmm. people think they're there to do good, but actually when you research into it, it's they provide these incredible amounts of money but it's strings attached and it's mm -hmm. on many conditions which is like if you let us build roads and that you know we'll build roads and we'll give you this infrastructure mm -hmm. but it's it's kind of um there's something in it for themselves there's, yeah, yes exactly yeah so it's like those countries then are in debt to which mm -hmm. is that that power imbalance is mm -hmm. really detrimental to the, the country's own self-determination mm -hmm, true the other thing about these social issues is or where we need to be careful with the social issues is that while we're trying to help someone or help somebody or try to solve a problem it might actually be creating another problem instead right so do you have any examples in mind right now of something like that that happened with you Yes, that's a very, very good question. And it was something that just came to mind was um, when we first started Seven Women, there were mm -hmm. some women that came to the centre at, you know, at, at the very early stages mm -hmm. and some women just coming once those women had been trained and they were earning money now. Uh, new women were coming for training and these new women had very, very little money, sometimes no money, Mm -hmm. And they had children that weren't going to school because they didn't have enough money to afford the scholarships. So what we thought would be a good idea, me and the, the team, like mm -hmm. the board, thought maybe we can give the women who have just come scholarships for their children, we can start a scholarship fund. Mm -hmm. um, so we thought that we were helping and assisting these new women to 
have opportunity to send their kids to school. But actually it did create another problem, which was mm. the women that started with us, some of them mm. said, hang on, but what about my kids? Like they're getting scholarships. What about my children? But in our minds it was, mm. well, they're earning enough money now to pay for their own children's school fees. So we're actually giving scholarships to the new women that can't afford it yet. But it did create that um, a little bit of a dynamic between the women that was not what we wanted to create, mm -hmm. you know, everyone to support each other. So, yeah, it was a very interesting learning. And then mm -hmm. after that, we just really worked hard to um, get the women trained into a stage where they could earn their own money so mm -hmm. they could pay for family's needs you know so we could pay them a good wage and they would be able to manage that themselves mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely and that's what i've learned so far about the social issues too like it's not about giving them you know relief for a single day it's about like somehow it's basically the old phrase of don't give a man a fish but teach a man how to fish right it's basically that concept and i think yeah. this all somehow the way I can see it, like how we can deal with these things is where it comes in social entrepreneurship. It's like a part of social innovation and social innovation is a very broad topic in itself as what I've studied and social entrepreneurship is just a part, right? And where I see is social entrepreneurship could be the way to you know to make the business itself sustainable and to also solve issues at the same time. So what's your experience around social entrepreneurship and why do you think would we need it more in future? Um, well, I think social entrepreneurship is a term for someone who has an idea, a business mm -hmm. idea that generates income and the, there's a social cause, like there's a goal for the business that's greater than oneself, greater mm -hmm. than just I want to earn money. And I think all businesses are needing to think like that these days because mm -hmm. the world needs it and i think you know if you're if you're just in it for yourself that doesn't really lead to um fulfillment i think mm -hmm. people are looking for fulfillment these days so um yeah social entrepreneurship is just a fancy word for uh someone who has an idea and wants to start a business and mm -hmm. social enterprise is a fancy term for the businesses that have you know that that support people in the business and that mm -hmm. maybe um, have positive impacts on, on the customers or on the people working in the business. Mm -hmm. So, um, but it's, it can be a lot more challenging to start a business like that. The traditional mm -hmm. business model can be a lot easier because you can buy products that are already made for, mm -hmm. you know, wholesale price and just sell them. So all you have to focus on is um, just, you know, getting the products and selling them to the market. Mm -hmm when you're doing a social enterprise it involves a lot more mm -hmm. but do you think it is a way to look forward or to you know like to develop because i had this idea you know like when i was studying social innovation which was basically going to like every village and finding what people are skilled at or what skill do they have or what are the basic skills we can teach them and form a social entrepreneurship around that in that village and do the same process in the next village and so on. And I think you're already doing that with seven women and our hands-on development tours, right? And cooking classes too. Maybe give us yeah. a little bit of more information around that, you know, like your hands-on development tours. 
Sure. So, um, so we started with the manufacturing business in Nepal, and that kind of mm -hmm. grew as more women came to be employed. And I started wholesaling the products to with my with a team of volunteers. There's about 50 volunteers here mm -hmm. who sold the products wholesale to about 200 shops around Australia, and then mm -hmm. we started selling to Europe and exporting directly from Nepal. Mm -hmm. So after about six years of that business, we thought. Um, I mean, we're still doing it now, but we thought, what's another skill that we can make available to the women? Because not mm -hmm. all of the women are interested in making products. So we thought maybe we can do um, exactly what you were just saying. Like mm -hmm. the skill, let's look at the skills of the women that are coming to our centre. Mm -hmm. Yes, some of them already can knit and, and we provide training for that. But what about when women know how to cook as well? So mm -hmm. why don't we start cooking and they can share their Nepalese culture to tourists that come to Nepal to learn about the culture. Mm -hmm. So we started that in our centre and we had two small kitchens and the groups loved it. So we partnered with a few tour companies and they became bigger and bigger and it too, too big for our kitchen. Mm -hmm. So then we raised money to build a, there was like a chicken pen out the back, like a mm -hmm. shed, and mm -hmm. we maybe we can renovate that into a kitchen so we did that and it could host you know up to 25 people in the class and mm -hmm. we had about 150 people some days at the center learning about our work but also doing the cooking classes and when they did the cooking classes you know sometimes they'd buy the products from our mm -hmm. shop so it was really a really awesome little enterprise and the goal for us was to become sustainable in nepal so mm -hmm they would generate enough money in Nepal to sustain themselves and they wouldn't be reliant on me fundraising in mm -hmm. Australia for, you know, the rest of my life. So, um, yeah, so that was really, really good. And it was actually on track to be 100% sustainable mm -hmm. just in 2019. Um, so now we've had to adapt and change a lot because mm -hmm. overnight the stopped. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so, and we, we actually, we had just launched our guest house in okay. Kathmandu mm -hmm. time. So we uh, paid rent on this building that was like an empty shell and mm -hmm. we renovated it and it's got eight rooms and it's in uh, Lazimpat. Mm -hmm. Lazimpat. Yeah, that's right. Also, Lazimpat. Yeah. So um, we've made a cafe too and a little cafe garden uh, mm -hmm. for that. So that, that's kind of the third social enterprise. And then the fourth is what you mentioned before, which was my tours. So I had a tour mm -hmm. company where I was taking high school students and university students and uh, people from organisations like Rotary across to Nepal and leadership mm -hmm. organisations to do 10-day cultural immersions mm -hmm. and was employing our staff in Nepal to facilitate those tours. Mm -hmm. So um, I love your idea. I love how you had that idea to go to the villages and see what the skills were of the people because mm -hmm. that's a starting point where you can create from there. Exactly. It, it is all based on human-centered design approach and design thinking approach. That's basically what we learned during our uni days and it seems like a great way to actually utilize it to actually solve the problem. And somehow because of studying social innovation and looking so much into social entrepreneurship, I somehow believe that Social entrepreneurship is a great way to solve social issues, especially when you go to a country like Nepal. Because basically what we're trying to do with social entrepreneurship is empower the people there to be self-sustainable. And then the social issues get solved because it's the people 
involved themselves will figure out what is wrong and how does this work. So I believe social entrepreneurship is the next thing we should all be looking into. All right. Thank you very much for your time, Stephanie. That was very short. I wanted to do a big long podcast, but since what we have is what we have. Again, thank you very much, Stephanie. If anyone wants to help Seven Women or any of these organizations, how can we get involved? Well, we're, I'm always working with interns here because mm-hmm. I love to I love to work with different people, and you know, there's a lot of uh, things that I manage here in Australia mm-hmm. to help raise and to help with the technology side of things and uh, also there's a documentary screening a, mm-hmm. a documentary was made about our work last year and we're launching that documentary at the end of October on mm-hmm. the 21st 22nd 23rd so uh, I'll send you the link for that that's going to be a fantastic event that we're going to have great. the team in online mm-hmm. and they'll do a Q&A at the end so uh, that's fantastic too. And, yeah, I, I also love, you know, Seven Women is about drawing out the human potential in everybody. So whether that's the women in Nepal that were stigmatised and that was squashing their potential, you know, that stigma, mm. and some of them even started to believe those things about themselves. So that's what activated me to help in the first place because mm. I think we all have this thing life force that and so much potential and so many god-given gifts that we can use to mm-hmm. to contribute to society that whether it's women in nepal or the volunteers or the interns mm-hmm. you know that's our vision so if we can help uh, international students here in australia get some experience and mm-hmm. you know me as a reference or that on their resume to mm-hmm. help them get a job in their area of interest then i'm very very happy to do that that would be great to have. That would be a great opportunity for any international students out here. Alrighty then. Thank you very much, Stephanie, for your time. We really appreciate this. Thank you. Thank you so much. See you then. If you like this video, hit subscribe. You can listen to the full podcast in YouTube, Anchor, Apple Podcasts and Spotify.